when you try to make a little joke out of referencing Baron Trump, that does not lend credibility to your argument. It makes you look mean. It makes you look like you're attacking someone's family, the minor child of the president of the United States. So let's see if we can get into the facts. Have you ever felt a visceral attraction to a politician? There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. I am your voice. Ask yourself if they're really telling the truth. This is a secret innuendo being leaked out there about me. I was honestly concerned that he might lie about the nature of our meeting. This is Subliminally Correct, a podcast where we examine all the ways politicians and newsmakers are using psychological tactics to influence you every single day. And now, join myself, Taylor Sherman, certified hypnosis instructor and executive coach, along with my co-host, Alex Dobranek, political consultant and certified consulting hypnotist, on this episode of Subliminally Correct. And welcome to another episode of Subliminally Correct. What do we have up for today, Alex? Well, this week we are back in the Judiciary Committee's House Impeachment Inquiry hearing. As tensions ramp up, we'll hear more ways Republicans are using their best persuasion skills to reframe the narrative and discredit these witnesses. Now, once again, the Democrats have invited three witnesses who are sympathetic to the Democratic cause, and they're Noah Feldman, Pamela Carlin, and Michael Gerhardt. And then there's one witness, Jonathan Turley, who was invited by the Republicans, and he's really been trying to inject a lot of doubt and a lot of skepticism into this entire process. Now, before we get to our first clip, I want you to head on over to our Patreon page. You can find the link in the show notes or on our website. There, you can gain access to exclusive content just for Patreon members and also support this show that you're listening to for free. Now, becoming a member is easy, and it goes a long way toward bringing these episodes to you each and every week. Now, in this first clip, you're going to hear Steve Shabbat, a Republican from Ohio, try to dismiss the whole impeachment inquiry as just a bunch of partisan Democrats with preconceived opinions conspiring against Donald Trump from day one. And that's really the Republicans' main theme here in this entire hearing. So let's take a listen. General Lady yields back. Mr. Shabbat is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. It's pretty clear to me uh, that no matter what questions we ask these four witnesses here today, and no matter what their answers are, that most, if not all, of the Democrats on this committee uh, are going to vote to impeach President Trump. Um, That's what their hardcore Trump-hating base wants, and they've wanted that since the president was elected three years ago. In fact, uh, when Democrats took over the House, uh, one of the first things that they did was introduce articles of impeachment against President Trump, and that was way before President Trump and the Ukrainian President Zelensky uh, ever had their famous phone call, uh, whether it was perfect or not. Now, today, we're undertaking a largely academic exercise. Instead of hearing from fact witnesses like Adam Schiff or Hunter Biden, uh, but we're not being permitted uh, to call those witnesses. It would seem that since Schiff, for example, misled the American people on multiple occasions, common sense and basic fairness would call for Schiff to be questioned about those things, but we can't. Mr. Chairman, back in 1998, when another president, Bill Clinton, 
was being considered for impeachment, you said, and I quote, we must not overturn an election and impeach a president without an overwhelming consensus of the American people and the representatives in Congress. You also said, quote, there must never be a narrowly voted impeachment or an impeachment substantially supported by one of the major political parties and largely opposed by the other. You said such an impeachment would lack legitimacy, would produce divisiveness and bitterness in our politics for years to come, and will call into question the very legitimacy of our political institutions. That's what you said back then, Mr. Chairman. Well, what you said should never happen, that we should never do, is exactly what you're doing now, moving forward without a consensus and impeachment by one major party that's opposed by the other. And it's almost certain that it's going to result in the very divisiveness and bitterness that you so accurately warned us about back then. Mr. Chairman, a couple more quotes from a very wise Jerry Nadler from about two decades ago. Uh, quote, the last thing you want, it's almost illegitimate, is to have a party line impeachment. You shouldn't impeach the president unless it's a broad consensus of the American people. Those were wise words, Mr. Chairman, but you're not following them today. And finally, again, your words back then, the issue in a potential impeachment is whether to overturn the results of a national election, the free expression of the popular will of the American people. That is an enormous responsibility and an extraordinary power. It is not one we should exercise lightly. It is certainly not one which should be exercised in a manner which either is or would be perceived by the American people to be unfair or partisan, unquote. Again, Mr. Chairman, those things that you warned against then are exactly what you and your Democratic colleagues are doing now. You're about to move forward with a totally party-line impeachment. That is clearly not a broad consensus of the American people. You're overturning the result of a national election, and there's no doubt that it will be perceived by at least <coughs> half of the American people as an unfair and partisan effort. You seem bound and determined to move forward with this impeachment, and the American people deserve better. I get it. Democrats on this committee don't like this president. They don't like his policies. They don't like him as a person. They hate his tweets. They don't like the fact that the Mueller investigation was a flop. So now you're going to impeach him. Well, I got news for you. You may be able to twist enough arms in the House to impeach the president, but that effort's going to die in the Senate. The president's going to serve out his term in office, and in all likelihood, be reelected to a second term, probably with the help of this very impeachment charade that we're going through now. And while you're wasting so much of Congress's time and the American people's money on this impeachment, there are so many other important things that are going undone. Within this committee's own jurisdiction, we should be addressing the opioid epidemic. We could be working together to find a solution to our immigration and asylum challenges on our southern border. We could be protecting Americans from having their intellectual property and jobs stolen by Chinese companies. And we could be enhancing election security, just to name a few things. And Congress as a whole could be working on rebuilding our crumbling infrastructure, providing additional tax relief to the nation's middle class families and providing additional security to our people here at home and abroad. Instead, here we are spinning our wheels once again on impeachment. What a waste. The American people deserve so much better. I yield back. So it is a well-written speech that we hear here from Steve Shabbat. 
and he is really hammering on those points of what um, what he wants for people to believe. And the interesting thing about it is he doesn't really hide a lot of it. It's just he just comes out you know straight with it, but he's saying it in such a way that is so direct and linking one idea to another that um, for some people it will be compelling and for some people it will be persuasive. So he starts off here from the very beginning talking about how it's clear that no matter what the witnesses say, the large majority of Democrats will vote to impeach Trump. And so what he's trying to do here is to dismiss the idea of anything that people are going to hear in that hearing. You know, we've heard this before. We have heard this whole thing to say, well, no matter what you hear today, it's not going to change the facts. So he's then also casting Democrats as sheep who are just following their leader. And then we hear him starting to go after Adam Schiff and starting to go after Nadler, um, talking about how we want to have, but we can't have, fact witnesses. Now, who are those fact witnesses? Fact witnesses like Adam Schiff. Fact witnesses like Hunter Biden. And he said, since Adam Schiff misled the American people, common sense would find that dot, dot, dot. And what we're hearing here is a classic setup for a cause and effect statement, and that is the word sense. So the word sense is a cause and effect. It's a, it's a temporal predicate, so it implies something happening with time. Since this happened, then this other thing. So sense X, Y. It is a language pattern. So he's saying since this thing that he is presupposing into the sentence is true, since Adam Schiff misled the American people, which again, that's you know so debatable, but he implies it, common sense would find that X, Y, and Z. So if you don't you know agree with me or if you don't um, you know support what I'm saying here, then that means that you disagree with common sense. So he presumes a fact in the past and then leads the conclusion now into the present. And um, what I really also found interesting about what he said here was this idea of the other important things that are going undone. So we could be addressing all of these other Republican priorities, such as um, intellectual property and jobs that the Chinese are stealing. We could be enhancing election security, which is, of course, a code word for let's make it so that these people who are cheating voting can't do that anymore, even though that's an extremely small percentage, minuscule. Um, we're going to provide additional tax relief, which is saying we want more of the same tax cuts that, was, that were passed um, last year. And then we want to provide more defense security. Now, we've heard this type of line before from the Republicans. So if you listen back to episode 39 uh, that we did on this uh, podcast, episode 39, the part there where Doug Collins, and you know we've heard from you know Collins here, but there Doug Collins says that, quote, we must agree that the opportunity cost is too high and that the border crisis and the job market are more important than investigating the president. So what we're hearing here from Shabbat is that he is continuing to stack these ideas that 
it's like there really is a playbook, okay? This is the playbook that has been circulated in the Republican meetings, and Shabbat here is basically repeating the same type of party line that we have heard from the Republicans in their news conference, that we've heard from Collins, that we have heard from so many others in the Republican leadership. So none of this is new, but that doesn't mean that it isn't incredibly persuasive. So yeah, just like Taylor said, the quote that caught me here was this uh, this idea that there are so many other things that the Congress should be doing instead of impeaching Donald Trump. And he lists a couple, the border crisis, the job market, all of these things are more important than investigating the president. And of course, we all know that the border crisis is a very Republican issue right here. And of course, the job market is another thing that, you know, the the Republicans feel as though is like a big accomplishment of the Republican Congress. The Democrats have just dropped the ball on. And so he uses that to sort of inject a little bit more of that that partisan talking point in there to get people who might be moderate or leaning Republican to identify that, yeah, why aren't the Democrats really paying attention to these other things? And so what we see here, it's important that he is distracting from um, the, 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 Demo- the Democrats' point here in this whole committee by using the term fact witnesses. Now, um, you know, like Taylor mentioned again, this this is important because the witnesses that they have or those uh, the scholars, the people who have studied uh, the law and the Constitution and, uh, you know, the Democrats are trying to put these people up here as the representatives of, you know, scholarly thought around impeachment altogether. And these are people who have spoken out and have written and have, you know, really studied this stuff for so long. And the Republicans want to frame this whole thing as though the Democrats have brought people who have no actual knowledge of what happened um, in the in the case in Ukraine. Um, and that's sort of a great way for them to distract from the point that, you know, they don't have to engage on the actual issues that the witnesses bring forward. All they have to do is uh, attack the reason why they're there in the first place and call for a different hearing. So they're saying that this whole thing is a sham and this whole thing is is unfair because we don't have people who have actual knowledge of the events. Of course, that was all handled in the previous committee, but they sort of gloss over that and saying that this whole thing is a sham here. Now, in this next clip here, we're going to be listening to Matt Gates who is, you know, really a fiery guy. And he's going to be, you know, coming in with a lot of passion and, you know, a lot of things to say and to hammer home to our three Democratic witnesses here. So take a listen to what he has to say. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Feldman wrote articles entitled Trump's wiretap tweets raise risk of impeachment. He then wrote Mar-a-Lago ad belongs in impeachment file. And then uh, Mr. Uh, Jake Flanagan wrote in... Uh, in courts, a Harvard law professor thinks Trump could be impeached over fake news accusations. My question, Professor Feldman, is since you seem to believe that the basis for impeachment is even broader than the basis that my Democrat colleagues have laid forward, do you believe you're outside of the political mainstream on the question of impeachment? I believe that impeachment is warranted whenever the president abuses his power for personal benefit or to corrupt the democratic process. Did you write an article entitled, It's Hard to Take Impeachment Seriously Now? 
Yes, I did write that article. And in article. that article, back did you in, write, did you write hold on, I'm limited on time, sir. I wrote did you that write, article. since, in, since the like 2018 the midterm question, election, House Democrats have made it painfully clear that discussing impeachment is primarily or even exclusively a tool to weaken President Trump's chances in 2020. Did you write those words? Until this call on July 25th, I was an impeachment skeptic. The Very call well. changed right. my mind, sir, and for Thank good you. Reason. I appreciate your testimony. Professor Carlin. You gave two thousand bucks, or you gave a thousand bucks to Elizabeth Warren, right? Uh, I believe so. You gave twelve hundred uh, bucks to Barack Obama. I have no reason to question that. And you gave two thousand bucks to Hillary Clinton. That's correct. Uh, Why so much more for Hillary than the other two? Because I've been giving a lot of money to charity recently because of all of the poor people in the United States. Well, those aren't the only those aren't the only folks you've been given to. Now, you, you have you ever been on a podcast called Versus Trump? I think I was on a live panel that the people who ran the podcast called Versus Trump. On that, do you remember saying the following? Liberals tend to cluster more. Conservatives, especially very conservative people, tend to spread out more, perhaps because they don't even want to be around themselves. Did you say that? Yes, I did. Do, do you understand how that reflects contempt on people who are conservative? No, what I was talking about there was the natural tendency, if you put the quote in context, the natural tendency of a compactness requirement to favor a party whose voters are more spread out. Well, and I do professor, not have contempt hold on. I'm, again, for I'm conservatives. Very, I'm, I'm very limited on time, professor. And, and so I just have to say, when you talk about how liberals want to be around each other and cluster and conservatives don't want to be around each other and so they have to spread out, it makes people, you may not see this from, you know, like the ivory towers of your law school, but it makes actual people in this country when feel the like, excuse calls me, you don't get to interrupt me on this time. Now, let me also suggest that when you invoke the president's son's name here, when you try to make a little joke out of referencing Baron Trump, that does not lend credibility to your argument. It makes you look mean. It makes you look like you're attacking someone's family, the minor child of the president of the United States. So let's see if we can get into the facts. To all of the witnesses, if you have personal knowledge of a single material fact in the Schiff report, please raise your hand. And let the record reflect. No personal knowledge of a single fact. And you know what? That continues on the tradition that we saw from Adam Schiff, where Ambassador Taylor could not identify an impeachable offense. Mr. Kent never met with the president. Fiona Hill never heard the president reference anything regarding military aid. Mr. Hale was unaware of any nefarious activity with aid. Colonel Vindman even rejected the new Democrat talking point that bribery was invoked here. Ambassador Volker denied that there was a quid pro quo, and Mr. Morrison said there was nothing wrong on the call. The only direct evidence came from Gordon Sondland, who spoke to the president of the United States, and the president said, I want nothing, no quid pro quo. And you know what? If wiretapping of political opponents an impeachable offense, I look forward to reading that Inspector General's report because maybe it's a different president we should be impeaching. Gentlemen's time has expired, Mr. Cicilline. Wow. And so this is Matt Gates. He is maybe my favorite clip in this entire thing. And what he does is just it goes back to that rapid, quick speech with all of these questions. He's just firing away. And as he does that, it it sets the witnesses off balance. You can see them sort of, uh, um, you know, trying to get in words edgewise. They're visibly flustered. Their facial expressions are all over the place. 
and it's a great way for them to to sort of rattle the witness and and that's exactly what gets does and then on top of that it also builds a little bit more confidence in the listener if you're receptive to what he might have to say you think he knows what he's talking about because he's talking so quickly. We've covered this tactic a number of times, um, especially with Jim Jordan, who we've covered so many times in the past. Now, what he also does is he likes to I- interrupt the witnesses. So when the witnesses weren't giving him the answer that he wanted or were trying to give more context to the answer they are providing... He is, of course, quick to realize that and then interrupts to inject with his own opinion and get to another question that helps build the path to sort of where he's leading the listener. And then the overall theme here that I see is that they have this coordinated plan to use ad hominem attacks to discredit discredit the experts here instead of arguing the merits of their points. And so instead of you know, talking constitutional law or whether the things that were done were impeachable or not. He wants to go back to arguing over the facts of the entire case and the stuff that, you know, the previous committee and the the Mueller investigation and everybody else has already been over. He wants to relitigate that by calling back those people and then to argue that, you know, maybe all of the facts that are a foundation for this entire hearing are bad and are unfounded. And so it's a great way that they don't actually have to play at the same rules that the Democrats are playing. Like the Democrats set up this committee and set up the rules for it all. And the Republicans here are just saying, no, we're not going to play by that. We're going to go back and argue about the very foundation of this entire thing from the beginning rather than play by your rules and accept that all of the things happened the way that the investigators said that it happened and um, and argue sort of the legality and the merit of the um, of the the impeachment articles. And so that's what we're seeing right here. And it's, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, he puts them so off balance with that rapid fire, you know, kind of angry style where he's trying to make these really quick emotional points that you know may or may not stand up to scrutiny later on but it doesn't matter because he does them so quickly so when he's going here to feldman and he's saying to feldman hey you wrote this article and this is what you said in this article and did you say that and feldman says yes and then right before um he gets cut off you know fed feldman says yeah but that was before i heard the phone call you know so of course, he's going to change his opinion based on new evidence like that's that's not a that's not a new thing. And then he comes, you know, to the next witness and he is um, coming and saying, well, this is what you said on this podcast with a you know negative name to that podcast. And here's who you donated to. And so that must be your priority. Now, as we said earlier, none of this is a secret that these witnesses are favorable to the Democratic cause. You know, it's of course the Democrats are going to be bringing in people who they know are going to answer the questions and have a perspective that's going to be favorable. The Republicans are also going to be bringing in people. Um, maybe they just couldn't, you know, find as many or that um, they weren't allowed, you know, to exist within that space. But what you have here is, is that the representative is really selectively going over these particular things. And then even when 
the witness says, hey, well, if you put that in context, he doesn't want to hear that. And he just cuts it off and moves on to his next talking point. And what you're hearing him here is just building out this foundation really quickly. So he says, if you have you know, direct knowledge of a single material fact in the Schiff report, please raise your hand. And because they are under oath here, and because you know they need to be really particular, and again, these are all law professors, um, they're not going to raise their hand. And he goes, and that means that you don't, you know, basically know anything. He's saying because you don't have direct knowledge of a material fact, which means that you actually observed or heard something, which isn't why they're there. Okay, this isn't why these witnesses are there, but he's suggesting that because you don't have direct knowledge, therefore you don't know anything here. And because you didn't raise your hand, well, we can just ignore you. And then he starts with this really, really fast, rapid fire of a recounting of what the various witnesses had said, um, but in selective quotes. So this person said they'd never met the president. This person said this. This person said that. The only one who we can believe is Gordon Sondland, and they said there was no quid pro quo. And so he stacks it really quickly and then uses all of those previous things to now bridge into a conclusion which is the conclusion that he wants and the conclusion that, you know, would have been supported. Now, it might be tempting to listen to that and say, well, he probably has a point because if he says all these things, you know, in such a quick fashion as he's able to uh, suggest or articulate these things, maybe there's a little bit of truth in what he's saying. But it's important to know that this tactic could be used on any side with any person You can do this no matter what the actual truth of the situation is, so long as you have just the slither bit of doubt to be able to frame something and see something from a different light. So he just uses that little bit of doubt, which is what we've heard all the Republicans doing, using that tiny little bit of doubt or that tiny little bit of contradiction to be able to then flip it on its head and create a new narrative. And um, he does it, you know, quite well here although probably not going to persuade any Democrats, but, you know, maybe very persuasive to the Republicans. So now in this next clip, we're going to hear Andy Biggs, and he does a really good job of uh, of rhetorical questions and sort of putting up straw man arguments. And um, he's uh, just kind of a good little tidbit to throw in here because of the way that he can get somebody maybe a little bit on his side who might not be fully committed to to any of this. So let's take a listen. Thank you. One of my colleagues wondered how this panel can opine as to the as to whether the president committed an impeachable offense. And the answer, quite frankly, is because you came in with a preconceived notion. You already made that determination decision. And I'll give you a for instance. Until the rec- a recent colloquy. Several of you consistently said that the president said during that July 25th conversation with President Zelensky, you said the president said, I would like you to do me a favor. But that is inaccurate. It was finally clear in that colloquy. And I'm going to read it to you. I would like you to do us a favor, though, because our country has been through a lot. One of you said, well, that's because the president was using royal we. Here is the president's talking about the country. That's what he's talking about. It's audacious to say it's using the royal we. 
That's royal, all right, but it ain't the royal we. And I'll just tell you, when you come in with a preconceived notion, it becomes obvious. One of you just said, Mr. Feldman, you, it was you who said, and I, I'm going to quote here, roughly. I think this is exactly what you said, though. Until the call of July 25th, I was an impeachment skeptic, too. I don't know. I'm looking at an August 23rd, 2017 publication where you said, if President Donald Trump pardons Joe Arpaio, it would be an impeachable offense. He did ultimately uh, pardon him. In 2017, the New York um, books, book review, review of books, Mr. Feldman, Professor Feldman said, defamation by tweet is an impeachable offense. And I think of the his history of this country, and I think if defamation or libel or slander is an impeachable offense, I can't help but reflect about John Adams, about Thomas Jefferson, who routinely pilloried their political opponents. In fact, at the time, the factions or parties actually bought newspapers to attack their political opponents. So this rather expansive and generous view you have on what constitutes impeachment is a real problem. This morning, one of you mentioned the Constitutional Convention, and several of you mentioned uh, Mr. Davies, and you talked about the Constitutional Convention. And I, it's been a while since I re read the minutes, so I just briefly reviewed, because I remembered the discussion on the impeachment uh, as being more pervasive, a little bit more expanded. And on July 20th, 1787, it wasn't 1789, by the way, one of you testified was 1789. It was in 1787, July 20th, Benjamin Franklin is discussing impeachment of a Dutch leader. And he talks specifically about what he would anticipate an impeachment to look like. He said it would be a regular and peaceable inquiry that would have taken place, and if guilty, then there'd be a punishment. If acquitted, then the innocent would be restored to the confidence of the public. That needs to be taken into account as well. So, I, I look also on a May 17, 2017 BBC article, which is a discussion about impeachment because President Trump had fired James Comey. Alex Whiting of Harvard said, it was hard to make the obstruction of justice case with this sacking alone. The president had clear legal authority and there was arguably proper or at least other reasons put forward for firing him. And yet, what we have here is this insistence by Ms. Gerhardt that this should be, that was impeachable. That is, that's contained in that article, refer you to it, May, May 17, 2017, BBC. What I'm suggesting to you today is a reckless bias coming in here. You're not fact witnesses. You're supposed to be talking about what the law is but you came in with a preconceived notion and bias. And I want to read one last thing here, if I can find it, um, from one of our, our witnesses here. And it's dealing with uh, something that was said in a Maryland Law Review article in 1999. And basically, if I can get to it, he's talking about this, where he's being critical of lack of self doubt and an overwhelming arrogance on the part of law professors who come in and opine on impeachment. 
That would be you, Mr. Gerhardt, who said something like that. I can't find my quote or else I'd give it to you. And so what I'm telling you is that is what has been on display in this committee today. And with that, I yield back. So, yes, here we hear Andy Biggs, and he is coming in with his summary of this whole thing. And he starts here with this kind of rhetorical question and answer. Um, You know, when you come in with preconceived notions, it becomes obvious. And what he's looking to do here is to frame all of the witnesses in the sense of, well, you just have a preconceived notion. And more than that, that they aren't remaining consistent to their own words of the past. So toward the end of that clip, you heard him reference Gerhard, and he says in a Maryland Law Review article in 1999, and he really focuses there on that on the words and in the dates. You said that something like this, but I can't remember the quote. I can't find the quote, but I'd tell you. You said something like that law professors who opine on impeachment are, you know, not good. And As he's focusing on this, he's really painting them into a particular corner. He's painting them in saying that you really aren't being fair. You're not fact witnesses. You're supposed to be talking about what the law is. This is what you're supposed to be doing. So think about the ideas that are being communicated here about the witnesses. Basically, he's calling them frauds indirectly. He's saying you are fraudulent and there is no reason for you to actually be here, you know, talking to us here today. That is what the all the Republicans we've heard so far have been trying to do. They've been trying to say these witnesses are frauds and they should not be allowed to be here in this hearing. Um, and so that's here what we hear Biggs, you know, talking about here a little bit. Yeah. So Andy Biggs is really interesting just because of the way that, uh, again, like Taylor said, he's he's attacking who these people are and not their points. And we've got this right here. He's dragging out clips from newspapers from 1999. All, you know, none of it is to actually refute any of the things that they're saying there that day. But to simply say that these people are are terrible, biased witnesses, and all of this is predetermined from you know President Trump's election. Of course, all of these people wanted to do this. But what was also really interesting here was his quip that if defamation or libel or slander is an impeachable offense, I can't help but think back to Thomas Jefferson or George Washington and the way that they slandered their opponents in the press. Almost as if he's trying to like romanticize or 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 historicize this this whole thing of defamation and libel and slander and these terrible things. Um, but then the other point is that he's changed. He's moved the ball. None of nobody is impeaching President Trump for defamation or libel or slander. But he's saying that that's what's happening, and then he's arguing that point. So he is building a straw man argument and then attacking it when nobody is accusing Donald Trump of defamation, libel or slander. So it's kind of funny how he uses that that moment there and that trick of his speech where you listening might not even have noticed that he's changed exactly what he's arguing for or against there. And then somehow, you know, manages to tie it back to Thomas Jefferson and the Founding Fathers, um, which is just uh, just an interesting way that he's able to tie all of that together right there. And then, of course, his big joke that he probably practiced for a long, long time. That's royal, all right. 
but that ain't the royal we talking about the way that Donald Trump in that do us a favor though um was uh him talking about really himself and and not the American people in general and so you know it's just like they've clearly divvied up these questions and this research among all of the Republicans and told everybody, you're going to get this section, you're going to get these attacks, you're going to get that. And I can only imagine how long it took him to write that joke right there. Uh, but it's effective and it gets, it lightens the mu- mood of moment and it gives people uh, the chance to see him is as a more um, affable person and to build a little bit more of a rapport with him so that everything else that he says has a little bit more effect. All right, and I think that's all the time we have for today, everyone. Remember, if you like the show, remember to rate and review us on iTunes. Five stars, that's always appreciated. Please tweet at us at we are at SubliminalPod on Twitter. You can also follow us on Facebook. And let us know what you're thinking of the show. You can email us on our website. That's subliminallycorrect.com. And uh, let us know, what are your questions? What are your thoughts about all of this? And remember also, if you are a friend of the pod and you'd like to support the show, consider checking out that Patreon where you can get access to all of the exclusive content that uh, we're making just for Patreon supporters is our way of saying thank you for supporting the show. And we will see you again next week. 